Listener Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. In this episode, Keith is going to try and convince us all about dams being <laughs> A, interesting, and B, essential to the survival of the planet, aren't you, Keith? Now, Absolutely. We have, a, we have actually discussed this <laughs> offline, and I was unconvinced, wasn't I? I was like, no, this is, we can't do dams. It's boring, Keith. Well, I was in the same boat until a few weeks ago. I was asked to be the Master of Ceremonies for a two-day conference of the Australian National Committee on Large Dams. So the large dams we're talking about, for example, quite close to where we're seated here, we have the Warragamba Dam up in the Blue Mountains, which supplies a lot of the clean drinking water that we are having here in the studio, right? So that's coming from the Blue Mountains. So that is for being MC for those two days, obliged me to do a lot of research as to the significance of large dams. I've got to say, I just took large dams for granted. As most of us would, As most of us do. And they fly fly under our radar screen. So you basically got two different types of dams. You've got those that hold the water, like storing the water in the Blue Mountains here in Sydney. And, of course, that makes dams actually a form of battery, if you think about it, um, which is what we're doing with the Blue Mountains, that we have the water that melts the snow on the, from, the blue, from the snowy mountains, flows down into the turbines, generates the electricity. So here you have water supplying power to southeast Australia. So it's important for the storage of water and the use of that water to generate hydroelectric power. Tasmania is the highest per capita consumer of electricity in the world because they've got so many dams. And their idea in the 1950s was to become Australia's Ruhr Valley. Germany had a lot of dams, of course, in the Ruhr. And so they wanted to use their water from the snow melt, which would then enable Tasmania to develop rapidly with all of these dams. And the tragedy, of course, so you build a dam, you can easily, in the case of Tasmania, flood a heritage area. So the world's first Green Party was formed by Brenda Heen, who wanted to stop the construction of a dam on Lake Pedder. And she went, flew in a plane to a demonstration over Canberra, and the plane has disappeared. Her body has never been found. So the woman who was the first Green politician in the world perished in mysterious circumstances. So you've got dams being created for water storage, for drinking water, and also for power. You also have dams whereby they hold poisonous tailings. So you come across them in connection with sludge from mining, etc. So we recently had a tragedy in Brazil which saw the death of quite a large number of people. So the the dam had been built. It was holding all the the sludge from the mining in Brazil and the dam broke, flooded down the valley and killed people. So and that's one of the reasons why the Australian steel industry is doing so well because our major competitor, Vale, is bogged down in this controversy in Brazil. Right. So that, and, and it's interesting, at the conference, I got to meet someone whose job is to look after the dams created from the Victorian gold rush in the middle of the 19th century. So Melbourne, marvellous Melbourne, which became the world's richest city in the 1890s, achieved that status 
because of the gold mining and the gold mine companies, having produced the gold, then just left all of these poisonous tailings. So this guy has got a job of looking after all these old dams. So it really, the more you get into it, the more fascinating it is. And, of course, in the case of China, they have built what is called uh, the world's uh, largest dam, the Three Gorges Dam, five times the size of the Hoover Dam, which the Americans like to boast about. That's my new compared with the Three Gorges Dam. There is so much water building up behind the Three Gorges Dam that the planet Earth has moved one inch of its axis. No. Because of the weight of the water behind that wall. And if anything happens to that wall, then you'll get flooding all the way down the Yangtze River. So why did the Chinese build this big dam? Well, it was an idea that started um, by uh, Sun Yat-sen. He he realised that China, if it were ever to modernise, remember he was the one who led the revolution against the old imperial class. If you were to um, be able to modernise the country, you need electricity. And so his attitude is that this would be a good place to build a dam. So you've got the Yangtze River, which divides China in two. So you have a China which is the north and one to the south. So this has been an old ideal. There are 400 million people who live in the Yangtze Basin. And at the other end is Shanghai. So if the dam breaks at one end, you're going to get a wall of water flooding down the Yangtze and running into Shanghai, which is a major Chinese city, of course. The problem is that the fluctuating water levels put stress on the water banks. So it's a bit like an elastic band that you move back and forth. So the water rises and then it goes down again, it rises. It's been uh, it's created a deeper river to carry larger ships. And, of course, China boasts about the Three Gorges Dam because it is its public relations move to be able to say, we will build dams in your country. Employ Chinese firms. We build the world's largest dam. We can do it successfully. So that's why the Three Gorges Dam is so important. But it required 100 million people to be moved from their homes. Remember, this is the issue that we've got here. We're trying to expand the uh, Warragamba Dam in our own Blue Mountains, that um, we need to have more water trapped, which means that we've got to build the dam taller, which means you'll hold more water behind it, which means we're going to flood heritage land and Aboriginal land. But how would we flood it? Well, because the water will just build up behind the dam and the water rises. Right, but there's containment now for that kind of stuff, right? Why would that, why doesn't it happen now already? Because we, the, the dam has been built to a certain height. Mm. They want to build it even higher, which means that the water will expand behind it in the giant lake. Oh, it will. Yeah. Right, that's what it does. Yeah. And it, and it will then take over some Aboriginal land and some heritage land. So what really got me going then with, this, with dams is that <clears throat> I had been unaware of just how significant dams were until I had the honour of being the Master of Seminists for this conference. So what, yeah, I was about to say, I mean, you really did walk away very impassioned about them on the way, by the way. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk for a second because I don't, I don't think I even know, and nor really should I, but maybe most people don't know, how dams create electricity. So you, you have a dam which builds the water up behind it. You then release the water 
into turbines and it's the turning of the turbines that generates the electricity. A bit like a wind turbine, right, except this is water that's going through it. And the idea from Malcolm Turnbull for the Snowy River Scheme 2.0 is that the water will flow through the turbines, generate electricity, and then when we're no longer needing so much electricity, you then use some electricity to pump the water back up. This is why you can regard a dam as a giant battery. Right. So and then when there's a lot of demand for the power, like, for example, the, the sun isn't shining, the wind isn't blowing, et cetera, or whatever, you then release the water to go down through the turbines and generate the electricity that way. Right, so you can just keep reusing the water. Yeah. Is it good for anything else after that, though, or is it oh, just...? Oh, yeah. You, yeah, you can then, if necessary, use it then for irrigation, which is another purpose for having dams because you can then irrigate land. You're regulating the flow of water down through it. So if you look at some of the, the giant Aswam Dam in Africa, in Egypt, they're regulating the flow of that water to make sure that it flows when they need the water and that it isn't flowing and flooding their fields when they're still planting them. Is that the one off the Nile, behind the yeah, Nile? Yeah, the Nile, yeah. I've been to that dam. You've been to that dam. Well, there we are. You've seen a very important dam and it didn't register with you. That's very... Significant. <laughs> so for me, what is interesting is that we have these dams, we take them for granted. In your case, you visit one without recognising its significance. So what is happening now is that there are a number of challenges to the current dams that we've got, and which is why we need to have more attention being given to what's going on. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Suda. We're talking about dams today and you are doing a very good job, by the way, of passing along your passion (laughs) for this particular subject matter. I was surprised that you were so impassioned uh, by dams, Keith, but it's very interesting stuff, as you were just saying. Yeah. So um, there there are now, uh, as we realise, a number of challenges. I guess the reason why the politicians don't want to talk too much about it is it's going to cost money to solve the problems. But... um, One has been um, the dams are growing old. We see this particularly in the United States. Uh, So you've got the in the United States, the average age of a dam is 57 years. And why does that matter particularly? Well, because if you think about what it's doing in terms of holding water back, etc., there's a lot of pressure on it. Um, So there's a risk of cracking. Remember, we can't even put up an apartment building in Sydney without... building, running into problems, and that's less than five years old. Mm. So one of the aspects with dams is you've got to get those dams to stay in place for decades. Or the ones that we've got from the Victorian gold mines are 150 years old. So you've got to keep those dams operating for a long time. So one problem is the dams um, are getting older. The US Army Corps of Engineers in the United States spends $200 million a year trying to prevent the seepage in dams. In other words, the water just moving around the dams. So that's one problem. Secondly, dams are vulnerable to what is called hazard creep. In other words, that they're built in a particular area and on one side of the dam, you've got all the water. And then on the other side, you've got houses that get built up because you've now created this nice flat plain and people think, well, we might as well build houses here. So you get townships that are built downriver, so to speak, of one of these dams. This is the tragedy in Brazil. People were living on the plain when you had this giant dam with mine tailings, the mine rubbish, building up behind it. 
And then as the, the dam broke, then suddenly all this sludge moved down the valley, killing a large number of people. Is this what happened similarly in the Lockyer Valley in Queensland during the floods? Yep, some of that would have, yeah, would have been part of the problem, which also brings us into the third issue, which is climate change, right? So they, the dams were often built on the and climate knowledge of that time. But as we now know, climates are now beginning to change and so we have got dams that have been built for a different era. So um, this is what I really find fascinating, the impact of climate change on dams. So suddenly you will get, as the examples you've mentioned in Queensland, sudden inundations of water, which can easily then run over the top of the dams. We had one in England. In fact, the flooding of the dam occurred exactly when we opened our conference in Sydney. So we really could have had a running commentary on what the British were doing because <laughs> they were helicoptering in sandbags to try to hold up the dam because you had people who were living down the valley. They should not have built their homes down that way, but but they, they were running the risk of, of being overrun. Now, by the looks of it, that dam has held because they were doing all the sandbagging. But people are saying because of climate change, the weather patterns are now becoming more and more unpredictable and weather tends to be lurching from one extreme to another. So the gentleness that you had with the weather, so to speak, has now become much more vicious as the weather builds up and you get these huge rainstorms or you have periods of dryness and that's when the foundations of the dam starts to dry out a bit. So there's, there's a whole, what I'm saying, the, for me, the bottom line of this segment is simply to say to people, we have to be very careful about dams. They're part of critical infrastructure. If you uh, wanted to disrupt a society, a good way to do it would be to cause problems with the dams. So if you look at New York, for example, which was, of course, attacked by the terrorists on 9-11-2001, an easier way to do it would be simply to wreck the pipes, the tunnels, that bring the fresh water in from the Catskills. New Yorkers can cope with the loss of the World Trade Towers, but they're not going to be able to cope without drinking water and flushing toilets. That's very true. What are you doing putting ideas in people's minds, Keith? <laughs> if it's in my mind, it'll be in the mind of terrorists and we ought to have contingency plans in place. It reinforces the need to pay far more attention to what is called critical infrastructure and dams are part of that critical infrastructure. So you're right, and then there'd be there's quite a, a few elements when it comes to critical infrastructure, especially if you're talking about terrorism. There are, ter there are a lot of different things that they could target to really yeah. bring it and bring a city to its knees. Is every major city around the world essentially relying on dams for water? Where not, what are the other water sources? Oh, not not necessarily all of them, but the, all of the cities rely on water, but not necessarily all of them have got dams. But most of them have. When the United States obviously boasts about its network of dams. You know, it used to boast about the Hoover Dam until along came the Three Gorges Dam in China, which dwarfs it. In England, of course, we've also got a series of dams as well. So, you know, the Victorians in the 19th century were great dam builders and we're continuing to produce dams to this day as the Chinese are showing us. So it's something which we would take for granted. So the purpose of this program is simply to say, look, we've got to give more public attention to dams and, if necessary, be willing to spend more money in making sure that our dams are safe and the dams are of use as a battery for the purposes of generating electricity 
also as a way of being able to store water for irrigation as well as uh, power purposes and also to make sure they're safe enough to hold the tailings, the, the rubbish that is generated from mining activities. We've got a problem, for example, in the Northern Territory with the uranium mining that went on there in the 1950s. What's happening there now? Well, you've got old dams up there holding these tailings. So tailings are... We take that for granted. You know, we do the mining. Look at us in the studio. We're surrounded by metal, Mm -hmm. right? A lot of the stuff that was used to produce this metal is still in rubbish tips somewhere. Some of them will be in tailing stamps and that they will cause problems, as we saw tragically recently in Brazil. And we see it also in, in Papua New Guinea where a lot of mining has been going on. And there also they're subject to severe inundation by rain. So the bottom line for me is we simply need to pay more attention to what's going on in the world of dams. I know, it's quite an extraordinary claim, but I think you have really been enlightening in this. So none of us would have really known that there was, there was any significance with dams, Keith, except for obviously providing water. Exactly. Thank you. Global Truths was presented by Dr Keith Suter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.